Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I get the incredible opportunity to visit with people all of the time who are making a difference in not only their lives, but in the lives of the people around them. Some of them at a community-wide basis, some of them at a national or even larger uh, kind of background. So today I have an exceptional guest. You guys are going to love this person. He's a dear friend of mine. He and I have had so many times to interact about not only health, but life and philosophy. And we're bringing those things together today in a really special show, something I'm super excited about. And I wanna to introduce to you all, Dr. JT Anderson. Dr. Anderson, again, being a personal friend of mine, I know him to be one of the most solid, incredible, uh, integrity-based chiropractors that I know. He's a, he's a healing doc who's had the great fortune to not only take care of the Broncos, the Denver Broncos, but also other professional athletes, uh, our soccer team, our baseball team. He's had all kinds of incredible experience that we might get into some of that, but, and here's the cool thing. Dr. Anderson, JT, as we call him, has had a journey and experience of coaching and being part of his, his kids' lives that has brought so much incredible richness to his life that he wrote a book. So we're going to talk about those things. Who knows where this is going to go, but it's going to be great. So without any further ado, Dr. Anderson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate that. And hello, audience. <laughs> hello, audience. That's great. So whether you're watching or listening, this is going to be a fun time. JT, I want to um, start out by talking a little bit about your um, reasoning about deciding to write a book. Because I think there's so many people that have a book in them, right? They have, they have a story to tell. And I actually wrote a little book, uh, kind of a self-published little deal. And one of the things that I've made mention of is everybody's got a story. We all have one. But some people, that story is really good and worth telling, and it should be put out there. But how did you come to the point of... Uh, wanting to write a book, number one, and deciding this was the topic that you would choose? Well, for me, uh, I've always had sports in my life, like many of you probably have, and I was very honored to be a coach when I um, was, basically, my son was in his younger years, five and six years old. I remember walking up to the t-ball coach and asking if I could help in any way, and uh, this gentleman was great. He said, absolutely, the more help, the better, and it kind of started off just uh, slow but sure. I was the assistant, assistant, assistant. And then it started to blossom as he turned to seven and eight years old, where I started kind of taking over more of the leadership role as a coach. And for me, being on the inside of the fence was super special. I was uh, enabled to me to get to hang out with my son and also kind of pour into the lives of the other boys on the baseball team uh, is what I coached. And so, when he turned 14, 15 years old, he made a competitive team called Slammers. And we just had come off a wonderful run up in Steamboat Springs, Triple Crown Tournament. And I was an assistant coach there and we lost the game in the last inning, but um, I felt like, okay, that part of my coaching career is over. Now moving on to the next phase was very exciting for me. When I walked up to that, that coach, uh, he basically told me that they already got paid, the coaching staff got paid, and he picked out the coaches, and that he didn't need help. He felt like uh, he was solid in that direction, and he asked if I would be willing to head up the fundraising you know, part of the organization for the team with the moms and other dads, and as well as kind of help organize snacks for after the game. And, and it's so just you're, you're going, wait, 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 wait. I was just helping us lose in the championship game. We got to the championship game in the, in the tournament. We're doing our thing. 
Now I want to take it to the next level. And you're asking me to, to serve orange slices and raise money. I, I mean, that's got to be crazy from, and you were a great baseball player, right? You have skills, you got all this stuff. And so I, how did that feel? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I had been given my pink slip and um, I'm glad my son wasn't around to see because it took me a moment just to kind of collect myself and, and realize that uh, I no longer was needed on the inside of the fence anymore. And my role now was basically to become a fan. And that's what the book is all about, going from a coach to a fan. And many of us, um, you know, have had no, you know, really understanding of what that feels like. And so I wanted to write the book along with the other men that I've invited to help write the story so that individuals can understand that you're not alone out there. You know, I, I've read the book. And for those who haven't seen it, if you're watching this on YouTube or whatever, this is what the book looks like. It's, it's a really great, great cover. And, and this is your hand, right? On the, on the That's cover. That's my hand. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a great story and it's a phenomenal read and it, it goes quickly and it is so heartfelt, JT, because as I, again, because you and I are friends, as I was reading it, I could feel some of what you were feeling and you're, you're writing it in a, in a way where you're wanting to share that, some of the emotion, but you, your nature, you're very calm and very easygoing. And so you feel that in the book as well. I'm, I'm interested in when you were, when you were finding that transition point, was there, did you notice that there was um, that normal sense of calm and ease in you? Was there an angst that came to the transitioning to the outside of the fence versus the inside of the fence for you? And because I think a lot of parents that have kids, athletes in this age, they can relate to what you're going through here. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is once my son made that team, the first couple games, I would kind of come up on the outside of the fence as he was on the on deck circle, for instance, and I would let him know, hey, do you see what that pitcher's doing? He's starting these guys off with the fastball. And, you know, my son would kind of look at me and nod his head and he kind of look back at the coaches. And I think he was a little uncomfortable. And, and, and really, I was I didn't realize what I was doing to him. But after about four or five games, he finally I remember walking up to the fence and he put up his hand. He said, Dad, I got it. And, you know, I kind of went back and sat with the, my wife and I realized, you know what, it is up to him now. Um, my coaching experience for him is transitioned to becoming, you know, more of an encourager, more of a, uh, a person that's going to just be there for him on his ups and downs. And he didn't need my advice anymore. If he wanted my advice, he would just ask for it. And when you were playing, did you have that kind of model, JT, with your with your dad, was your dad real familiar with the game and, and would give you these kind of hints and insights and tips or were you coached by the coach? And so it was more natural for you just to keep coaching your son. Well, in my book really explains that the very first picture that I have in the book is uh, I had made a competitive team as a third baseman. Um, and it was the old Lowry Air Force Base, basically, is is where this ball field was. And um, I remember my dad was always the assistant coach, but he really took over a leadership role. And as I was warming up, he wasn't selected as one of the coaches because he was the assistant. And so I remember looking over on the third base side of the fence and seeing him with his hands kind of interlaced in between the bob wire, the chain link fence. And I realized, you know what, this is probably the last time my dad will ever uh, coach me. And so that dawned on me. And then when I was in the same situation with my son, I realized that, uh, you know, it, it happened to me. 
Wow. Well, you know, did you decide after that point, because then your, your son has recently uh, moved on into the next level of, of his life after high school, that kind of thing. Did you give any thought or have you given any thought about going back into the inside of the fence with someone that's not your kid and taking that on? I know you got incredible practice with lots of workload and all that kind of stuff. What is your desire to coach after that, after you're being that part of your son's life? You know, that's a great uh, question because I have, I've been feeling this, uh, this calling to go and, and coach 10 year olds. It's just that, that number seems to hit me um, right in the, in the chest. And I feel like what I want to do is reach out to uh, the Centennial League or the Aurora League and just ask them if they need a coach to kind of take over a team. And, and I don't really care if they're, you know, exceptional athletes. They're just young boys that, that really want to you know, have fun and possibly learn something. And when I was coaching um, as a head coach, I would always ask fathers to come and uh, give their insights and be a part of the team because, you know, one coach can't do it all. And so, yeah, I definitely have that calling to go back into coaching again. Nice. Well, you know, I, I want to transition a little bit from the coaching to the sidelines. I'm sure as people know, because we talked about you being the former uh, sideline doc or the chiropractor for the Broncos. What is that experience like? What do you see in a locker room as a provider? What kind of interactions do you have with athletes at, that are at the highest levels? And, you know, do you get starstruck? What, what's it like being a, being a, a pro team doctor? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the nose. Uh, starstruck is the first thing you really feel when you walk into, let's say, the Broncos facility and you see the Super Bowl trophy and, and, and you're just thinking to yourself, wow, uh, this is a, a much bigger than me. And what I learned very quickly is that the head trainer, in my case, it was Steve Ananopoulos, was the gatekeeper. He basically um, was one that wanted things done his way. And, and uh, if, if you didn't do it his way, uh, you were out of there. And so I learned very quickly that um, I just wanted to be a part of the team, but I needed to serve the role that was meant for me and not go outside of those boundaries. And when you were doing that, did, did you find that you had a really good connection with the other providers that were part of the team so that you would work at, you know, pick Bronco A, whoever that might have been, and he comes in with a back injury or a hip injury. Was there a, a process where you guys would connect and communicate about what your role was in that, what the ortho's role, and whether it's the massage therapist or the PT? How did that section work within the, the treatment or arena of a pro athlete? So... I didn't have, let's say, a dialogue with an orthopedist or, you know, any of the neurologists in that regard. I would go right to the head trainer or the assistant trainers and let them know specifically what I found with the athlete. Of course, I would document their injuries, uh, take notes on them like any doctor would. But I would always make sure that the trainer knew exactly what's going on. And then he would basically take that information and uh, move forward with uh, with whatever needed to be done. Gotcha. So then he would go back to you as well. If you were referred from the ortho, the neuro, and they said, hey, we, we could get a chiro consult on this, then that information would go through uh, Steve and then back to you. And then you would you guys were coordinating through that kind of channel system. That's right. Exactly. Again, he was the gatekeeper and I knew my role. I didn't want to ever go ab above of the role that I had. Mm-hmm. And when you did that, did you get a chance to 
see the athletes from a different side and perspective? And obviously they're coming to you to either stay healthy or to get better. Um, did you get to see what it was like? Because I, I equate this, and the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this is when we talk about outside the fence, inside the fence, I think there's a lot of correlations on any athlete, any coach, any trainer, when they're inside that zone doing what they do, it's different than when, even if that same athlete or your son were to ask you for advice or help outside of the, the chalk, the lines, the, the ice, whatever it might be, what did you see with, with these athletes when you were inside the fence with them that gave you a unique, unique perspective on their position as a human being? They are human beings. Uh, they are people that have feelings. They have families. They have individuals that um, uh, you know really care about them. But at the same time, is they're in high demand. And when they came to see me, you know, it, it, I had to put away the starstruckness, if you will, and just focus on them and their needs. And every one of these athletes um, has a story of their own, and uh, they're special. I mean, they're to get to that level. Um, is absolutely amazing. And to stay at that level is even more difficult. So I think more than anything, it gave them a reprieve to come in and just unload their baggage to me uh, physically and also you know, emotionally. And there's things that are bothering them that maybe we would keep to ourselves you know, as a doctor-patient relationship that I wouldn't share with anyone, and including the trainer, um, unless if it was a specific injury that needed to be attended to. Um, it was a way for me to connect with them at a level that uh, certainly there was a trust factor there that I'll always cherish. That is so cool. Now let's forward that into the situation of a coach. I'm interested because when I was, you, you and I are both chiropractors and I did a, a lot of sideline work, never at the level that you did at the, the pro NFL level, but I did some pro skiers and I did a lot of high school athletes and some college athletes, some on the sideline, some off. And it was interesting to me because when my daughter, I got to, the chance to coach my daughter's volleyball team from when she was young up till when she got to be in high school, which then I became outside the fence or outside the lines or whatever you want to say. But man, did I have an interest in their health. Did you find that as a coach, you were working with the athletes on your team that you were coaching? What did you do when you noticed that one of them had a shoulder issue or a, a back or a hip or an ankle? Did you have to separate yourself as a doctor, a coach, and a parent? How did that work out? Well, as you probably all know, it's the liability is huge. And so you have to really make sure that you are working with the parents directly and um, also not override their primary care physician, for instance. Um, but you want to be able to give them information and let them decide the next step for their their child's care, for instance. And so, uh, for instance, I had a gentleman, a young 13-year-old in our last competitive team that I coached on that had um, slid into first base. And you, you could just tell his shoulder dislocated right there on the field. So, of course, I run out there and, um, you know, I called over to the father who had been watching as well because I wanted him to see what was going on. And they were able to, you know, get him off the field and then they were able to take him over to the emergency room to, you know, put the shoulder back into place. But again, I didn't resume my role as a doctor in that situation and try to manipulate that joint. I wanted to make sure that things were done 
in such a way that there wasn't going to be a liability or a trust issue that uh, the parent might have had a, a problem with. Yeah, that makes total sense. Did you do a lot of, so, so let's back it down a step. I know you and I have both taken a lot of, of extra courses in sports injuries and performance management and all that kind of stuff. Did you as a coach do things to help with the, the performance of your athletes, i.e. tape them, tape their ankles, help stretch them? Did you, did you get into any of that or did you just say, hey, I'm the coach, I'll leave the medical and the performance to someone else, whether it's, you know, I'm sure on a little league team, it's probably more of a one-on-one -on -one parent to kid to provider situation as opposed to a team person. But how did, how did you approach that, especially with all the knowledge in that big brain of yours? <laughs> uh, well, I ended up uh, really focusing in on having the young athletes work with each other. And we went through stretching that they could perform on one another and, and pair off. And I always made sure that the pairs weren't always the same because, you know, once you get into a click, all of a sudden you become non-unified as a team. So I would always make sure that I kept a running record on you know, who paired up with who, whether it was throwing the ball around or stretching them out. So I let them basically control their own stretching and um, throwing routines, for instance. As far as taping um, and doing those type of things, I never coached at a higher level that would require that. Um, once my son got into high school, um, I was always there, of course, watching him. And I remember a few times where parents would come to me and ask about their uh, son's, you know, shoulder, knee, um, hip issue, and so forth. And the trainer was always within earshot, it seemed like. And so I always would go to the trainer and talk to them specifically about what I would recommend. But I would, again, give that information to the trainer so that they didn't feel like I was overstepping uh, their professional, you know, uh, expertise. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. And, you know, I can... I just know from my coaching experience as well as my sideline and my parent experience or just spectator experience, finding that balance and walking that line of, hey, I have information that can help. I have skills that can help. And when is it appropriate to use all those skills, some of those skills, none of those skills? So, you know, I, I can certainly appreciate where you're coming, where you're coming from there. And, you know, kind of on the going from the, the medical side back to the coaching side. I would like for you to kind of share because you, you coached at a level, you know, getting up to super, super competitive, but up through that point, when a kid is on the team, the kid paid the, the fee to play, the parent wants to see the kid play and the kid's not one of the, the best, call it, you know, depending on what sport, right? Five, nine, 11, whatever the number is, they're not one of the top tier athletes. And so they might not get that, that playing time, but yet, you're trying to balance between learning the game, becoming a great person, and winning. Explain how you approach that as a, as a coach, because I think if people are listening out there that have either kids in a sport or they're a coach, from your perspective, I think it could give some, some really good balance to the conversation, because every parent has it if their kid's not starting on whatever team they're playing. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most challenging thing, I'm sure you would agree, uh, as a coach, to be able to try to give playing time to those individuals that just don't have the, you know, the talent or skill level. And, you know, I was taught at a very early age that you have 
kind of like a hourglass or a funnel. You know, when you're six, seven, eight years old, that funnel, the pool of talent is um, across the board. And then as, as you get to 10, 11 years old, 12, 13, that becomes much more narrow. And then obviously in high school, it becomes like a drip. Um, you know, with the talent. So, you know, you, you really have to get to that point where, especially in the younger athletes, you know, let's say eight years old, um, that's where you have to decide how competitive do I want to be? Um, does that outweigh um, possibly hurting a child's feelings or, of course, the parents setting up a child at eight years old? Um, you know, again, a lot of coaches have messed with kids. I know that for a fact where, uh, they just felt like they're they're not worth anything, and and of course they may have talents and other things, music, uh, education, and so I always tried to find at least with the kids that I coached um, their special quality, and I really tried to make sure that I use those qualities to better the team. Wow, a couple of stories I got to share with you, JT, and feel free to share any stories with with us as well. One is um, in regards to my daughter's team when she was 12 years old, I believe I was the coach of a volleyball team and the volleyball team was pretty good for a 12 year old team. And we ended up making it to the championship game of the league and the tournament that we were in. And so there's no assistant coaches, you know, just me. And we got to the team or to the finals and we're winning. It's a, it's a best out of three match. Right. And so we win the first game. And so as we win the first game, we're going through the second game and I had the best players in. And so there were some players that hadn't played because we didn't run a full team rotation. We ran a limited rotation of getting the, the new players in the game. And so when we got ahead in that second game, we were probably four points, five points away from winning. And I called the timeout. And so I had all the girls come over and I said, listen, we're in a really good spot right now, but... Um, there's some of the team that hasn't played. So here's what I want us to talk about right now. This isn't a timeout, right? I said, you know, there, we can get the, the rest of the team, sub you guys in and make sure everybody gets a chance to play in this moment. And then we, if, but we might lose the game. And if we lose the game, we got to play another one. So how do you guys feel about it? And it was so cool, JT, because all of the starters of these little girls said, yeah, let's get everybody in. So I, I got a chance to rotate through and, you know, it got a lot closer there in that <laughs> last game, but we ended up pulling it out and there was no better feeling that I had. I mean, you know, I've played so much sports throughout my life and I can't remember being a more nervous or be more proud in those moments of those 12 year old lives than, than me just being part of it and swept up and watching their joy and their just absolute exuberance and the parents going crazy on the sidelines for their kids went in and all the kids got to play. And so that, that was amazing. Have you had a, have you had a moment like that where you got to, to make those kinds of choices? Yeah, I tell you, it's funny that you bring that up. It just brings back memories and almost a tear, honestly. Um, so I organized a team when my son was 10. We called it the Twins because I'm a Minnesota Twins fan. And um, I was able to create the jersey. So I got these really cool red pants and the blue um, top, which is the Twins on there. And so we really looked like, you know, snazzy, in my You're opinion. Fine. My wife kids me about that. But it was, we were sharp looking. And we were 0-12. And, 12 and uh, <laughs> but, you know, the last game of the year, we were playing one of the top teams and um, we lost, I think it was like eight to six. And my son pitched the entire game. He struck out like 17 kids. It was amazing. And, but the thing is I was able to get all of the kids rotated through and um, 
at the end, I should say, at the end of the season, we had a big party. You know how parents do that. They throw a party and just just the feeling everybody would come up and just say how much they, they their child or kid enjoyed that season even though we were 0 and 12 um and i just i'll never forget it is as much as i wanted to win a game or two we didn't but um hopefully those kids now as they're on to college um will have remembered that when they were 10 years old that is such that a beautiful is- story and you know i've thought of that when i was when i was a little league player it was funny because for the first five seasons of little league football from seven up till 12, we never lost a game. We just never, ever, ever lost a game. And so we were on the other side of that coin you were just talking about JT. And so while there was this confidence and this, we, we don't lose what we didn't know how to do was lose. And all of us have <laughs> losing times in our lives, right? No one's undefeated in life. It just doesn't work that way. And I still remember to this day when I was 12 years old, the first game we lost, I literally cried my eyes out because I, we didn't lose. And it was so funny because we happened to play on a Sunday and in our family, we went to church every Sunday and we had never played on a Sunday before. And so we played on a Sunday, we lost on a Sunday and here was my little mind, my little 12 year old mind, God's punishing us because I didn't go to church when we lost the game. So it was a, it was a really deeply emotional, profound experience for me personally was the ability to, to, take losing after not having done it. And so with your team, you guys, it's, it's the opposite. It's letting them know they're still winners, even if the score is not showing that, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Well, you know, uh, one more story. We could go back and forth on these stories kind of thing forever. But in regards to the, the stud athlete and the superstar athlete versus the, the mediocre athlete or the poor athlete, I learned so much about my son when he was in high school, my son was, he's a really good athlete, our youngest, but he never found a sport that just really he connected with. He's a big kid, right? For his, always big for his age, uh, you know, going into this, this kind of high school bit, he was a great guitar player. And then he met some kids that played lacrosse. So he thought he's going to play lacrosse. Like you talked about earlier, the, the sands thing, you turn over the sand. Well, he was going into ninth grade, having never played lacrosse other than throwing with his buddies who played, they gave him a stick and he learned how to throw. That's all he did. So as a real big eighth going into ninth grader, they had him try out on the team. And this was at a five, a school. It was at Chatfield that it had a, not a great program, but they were bringing in a brand new coach who was storied coach, super, super good coach. And at the end of the day, um, my son Connor ended up enjoying lacrosse enough to stick with it for four years. So he goes through the, the entire four years of, of lacrosse. And he probably started at varsity on lacrosse. He probably started three games. He played in a lot of games as, as a second level defender, but as far as starting, you know, he wasn't the starter because he didn't have the reps, the experience of playing since he was a little kid. He was athletic, but not skilled, if that makes sense. And so he ends up getting to the end of this of his senior season. And I was just so proud of him because of what he learned and who he became with the team, right? The team did well his senior year. They made it into the state playoffs. And, you know, he had to overcome some personal adversity uh, during that year that he had to grow from. And through all of that, I saw the the validity of sports. I mean, it just rang true because even though he wasn't one of the named players that was going to go anywhere on a college scholarship, he was a better man. He was a better person. And I think sports brings so much of that, you know, guys and girls, both. I just think there's such a a lesson there. What, What do you feel about that? 
Yeah, I agree. And I think with this whole pandemic year that we've had, we're coming up on a year, uh, there's a lot of sports that have been put on the back burner. And I know that um, there's so many people that are doing their best to kind of keep the kids moving and, 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 and you know, in organized sports. And, you know, for us, as my daughter's a senior this year, I would love to go watch a high school volleyball game or a football game earlier this year and, you know, with baseball. And, and unfortunately, it's just not in the cards right now. And I look back on the experiences that I had with my son and even my daughter. Um, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And I think we're seeing a lot of that this last year. A lot of the mental wellness issues are starting to pop up because people's security was here um, with their job and their finances and, and security. And when that gets pulled out like a rug, all of a sudden you start feeling the pressures of, wow, I, I realize that I am standing on sandy ground and where does my strength come from? And so sports kind of brings us together, obviously. And it's um, a situation where we all hope this pandemic just moves and, you know, it, it gets done with so that we can resume. But at the same time as we'll forever be changed. That's a great That's point. A great and I'm so glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that just a little bit ago in our conversation about the role sports plays, not only in our physical well-being, but in our mental and emotional health as well. And I can't imagine, JT, from, from our standpoint as parents and as uh, people that played sports, but also from our, our medical training, our chiropractic background, the damage that us not being able to be together and not only collaborate, but compete and connect through sport. I know for sure that we're seeing increased depression rates. We're seeing increased suicide rates and in our kids, whether they be little or whether they be college athletes, we're, we are missing something by us not being able to be together. And, and all I can hope is that the powers that be really take into consideration all of that as decisions get made on who can do what when and how is that it's not just about one piece of this it's not just about worrying about getting a virus it's about what about the mental and emotional stability of all the healthy people out there and and so i i i'm so glad that you mentioned i don't know if you have any more to say on that topic but for me we need to get people back together socially we need to be able to see each other smiling again we need to be able to hug, hug, hold hands, high five, you know, all those kinds of connecting points. And, you know, I just think that's a really, really vital point for our, our health, our nurturing, our mental wellness, and our overall experience as humans as we move forward. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. You hit everything, uh, every topic that I could uh, possibly drum up. So thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, man. I, I would like to kind of, as we, as we move towards the, the tail end of this, I'd like to know this. For people that want to coach, or maybe they've never thought about coaching, what do you think, what would you say to them if they were to talk about, well, I don't really know the sport that well, or should I coach my kid's team? What are the, some of the benefits, A, you get from coaching, you as the person doing the coaching, and B, how do you know if coaching is right for you, or what should you do to be a great coach, if, even if you're interested? How do you go about that process? Well, nobody says you have to be a head coach, right? Like, like me, uh, my T-ball five, six-year-old team, I just wanted to be a part of the team. So I just threw in my hat and thank goodness the head coach said, yeah, let's, let's bring you in. And a few other dads helped out as well. So just by offering your presence, that's all 
your son or daughter really wants at that point. They just want you to be there for them. And, you know, things will start to work out and there's no harm in asking questions or, you know, studying. We're all students of life. And so I think if you like baseball, like me, for instance, you don't really have a clue about what baseball is all about. You know, you're a body, you, you've got a mind, you've got, you know, a personality that I'm sure kids can basically um, rally around. And so I would say, basically, at this point, uh, you being present and available is more important than anything else as far as, um, you know, the way you would coach a child up. I mean, that's, that'll, that'll happen naturally. That's right. If you're willing to put the time in and learn, there's clinics, there's YouTube videos on every sport you want to do. There's other resources. I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And what about part B of that question, JT? What did you get most from being a coach? Because obviously you wanted to stay connected to your son. What were some of the biggest life lessons or takeaways or ways you grew as a human as a result of that experience of, of impacting those young, young guys' lives? You know, for me, um, I would say it gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of belonging, not only to the kids that I was coaching, but the parents that I met, the umpires that I had a chance to engage with, um, the other team, teams that we played against. There's bonds that I formed throughout those years that I still have to today. And I would say more than anything, um, it just felt like this was where I was supposed to be. That is beautiful. Beautiful. Man, I love that. And, you know, there's so many sports and venues and things that we can get involved with. I, I know that there are plenty of people that if they have an interest, they can get involved in coaching at a level, even if their kid's not involved, right? Like there's, I've known plenty of young guys, seen younger and younger guys coaching sports whether it be football or, or basketball, I'm sure baseball too, just because they love the game, they, they excelled at it as you did. And then they wanted to, they wanted to give back. And I think that if we can find ways to give back, especially now, it's always been important, but right now when we've been so separated for so long, that when we can give back to a group of people, because just like you said, just because it felt like the right thing to do to the right place to be, that now all of a sudden we're going to gain so much more when we give. And, you know, I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on just coaching without your kid being on the team, but I, to me, anything that you can help someone else get a hand up and get better at, you're going to, you're going to improve as well in one way or another. I, I suppose there's two, um, you know, quotes that I like to, to really go through. And one of them is always give without remembering. But receive without forgetting. And I, I constantly say that. Say that one more time. Say that one more time. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I just want to make sure people hear it. Yeah, I think, again, uh, this is a quote, and um, the author, I'll have to go back in my memory banks at some point, but you always want to give, okay, without basically remembering. I mean, uh, basically, you want to give without forgetting. You want to give without forgetting. Um, that, but you want to receive. Let's scratch that. <laughs> no, let's start that over. All right. So you want to give, okay, without remembering your gift. You don't want to have to remember the gift. You're giving because of it's out of your kindness, your heart. And you want to receive, but you don't want to forget that, you know, reception. And so the other thing is just living stretched. I think living a little more stretched than you feel comfortable with. And I think that's important because so many of us go through our lives comfortable, 
but when in your life have you lived a little bit stretched because you've went out of your way to help an organization, whether it's on the ball field or whether it's um, you know through family members? I think it's important that we always have that feeling of giving more than we really have to. That is so good, so good. And I want to end with this, JT. That was brilliant. That quote of giving without remembering and with and receiving without forgetting. I will not forget that. I've not heard that, but that's impactful to me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just tuck that away as a pearl in in my mind. So thank you and in my heart. As the last question I have for you, if you could give one piece of advice to the people listening that either A, was the most influential in your life, because let's face it, you've been successful, right? Super successful doctor, successful parent, great close family, great athlete, great coach, like great golfer. And you taught me so much about golf because I'm not a golfer. You took me to top golf and showed me how to hit the ball. And all I want to do is get far, right? And you helped me with that. So I appreciate that you've done all these things. Is there one piece of advice that you've gotten that has helped you get to where you are or now that you are where you are, that one piece of advice you would want to share with someone listening to help them on their journey? I would say, look at your dash. Look at your dash. Look at your birth to eventually where you're going to pass on. What are you doing in between that, the dash? And how do you want to be remembered? What is your epitaph going to say on a tombstone? Um, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And for me, I want to run my race hard. I want to run my race for the Lord. I want to run my race so that I'm exhausted at the end of it and not leave anything behind. That is brilliant advice, man. Living through the dash, like living throughout that dash is brilliant. Again, new one for me. Thank you for that. And so as we wind up, JT, thank you, thank you, thank you. I do want to... to just have you share if someone wanted to get the book outside the fence, what would, how would they go about finding that or, or getting in touch with you or asking you more questions? Uh, we just created a nice little website. It's just the three W's www and then dot J T Anderson, S O N dot biz B I Z J T Anderson dot biz. I love it. And they can get a hold of you there, get a hold of the book there and, uh, JT, thank you, man. Thank you so much thank for spending you. this time. You're, you're you. such a calming force. Just your voice and your mannerisms and all about you is good. And so anytime we get, whether it's official like this on a cool podcast or whether it's you and I just kicking around or you teaching me golf or or us just getting adjusted, whatever it is, man, you always make my day better. So thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. And I'll look forward to the next time we get to be together. Thank you so much. Love you too, buddy.